Well, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2 this morning as we continue our uh, trek through the letter of 1 John. Next week, uh, Pastor Jeremy will be opening the scriptures for us. Uh, we will still be in chapter 2 uh, of 1 John at that point. But this morning, we're going to be looking at chapter uh, 2, verses 3 through 11 as, uh, again, we continue our study of this book. And so as you turn there, let me read for us uh, those verses, 1 John 2, verses 3 through 11. John writes, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is God's word. Father, we pray that, again, you give us insight and understanding, that you would make us more like your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we've said before, the letter of 1 John is written to give assurance. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this assurance that John wants for every genuine Christian to enjoy, and it is a joy to have assurance of our salvation, the, this assurance that John wants for every genuine Christian to enjoy comes by way of three tests that he returns to over and over again. Now, tests are something uh, strange, aren't they? They they tend to cause a certain degree of anxiety in us. Uh, speaking for myself, one of my recurring nightmares, I'm telling you, have this, it feels like once every other month, is being back in college and going to class and having a test uh, that I need to take, knowing I haven't been at, to class for the last month and knowing I'm going to fail it. There's an anxiety that comes about when we consider tests, because very often we think back to school, don't we, in that kind of scenario. I want to suggest to you that tests of that nature, they, they really reveal what is right or what is wrong. In other words, they can show what is right, that is, a mastery of the material you're being tested on, or what is wrong, a complete uh, lack of understanding of the material you're being tested on. They are meant to reveal what is right or what is wrong. There is another kind of test which I would suggest um, doesn't really create anxiety in us, but eagerness, I, I would imagine, in us. And that is a test that doesn't seek to tell us what is right or wrong, but why something is right or wrong. Let me give you an illustration. Um, just before Thanksgiving, as I was driving down 18 and past the urgent care there uh, between uh, here and Giant Eagle, there were cars lined up all the way into the street. 
And there was an eagerness on the part of those who were lined up there to have a test that would reveal to them why they were experiencing certain sets of symptoms. There was an eagerness because, of course, they wanted to celebrate the holidays with their family, but there was a, there's a kind of test that doesn't reveal what is right or wrong, but why? In other words, why am I experiencing these symptoms? Can we drill down to what's going on inside so that I can know why it is uh, I'm experiencing what I'm experiencing? And the tests in 1 John are far more along those lines. If we want to continue to use medical terms, John, as a doctor, is operating in the realm of diagnosis rather than prescription. He's trying to tell us what's going on or show us what's going on in our hearts. And so this morning, as we come to two of John's three big tests, that is the moral test, do I obey the commands of Jesus? And the social test, do I love other uh, believers in Jesus? Really what he's trying to do is drill beyond the answers on the surface to those questions into our hearts to reveal to us what's actually going on inside of us in relationship to Jesus. That's a very important nuance for us to pick up on. He's trying to show us what's going on inside of us as we look at the symptoms, obedience to Jesus or a lack of obedience, love for other Christians or a lack of love. As we look at those symptoms, what does that reveal about our hearts? And if you'd like just sort of a summary sentence of this section that we've read together, um, what John tells us is that we may know that we are Christians by our love expressed through obedience. How do I know I'm a Christian? I know I'm a Christian because of love expressed through obedience. Now, when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? He answers uh, very biblically in, in light of the Old Testament. He says, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a second is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. You can really summarize all of the Ten Commandments along those two lines, love for God and love for neighbor. And those are the two themes that John is going to hammer away at here as he talks about love expressed through obedience. So what I want to do first is I want to point you uh, to verses 3 to 6, and I want to consider the idea of loving God through the commandments. Loving God through the commandments. It's not uncommon to hear people say that law and love are incompatible. In other words, if I'm told I have to love you and I love you, I don't really love you. I've been compelled. Law and love are incompatible. But in the Christian life, law and love are completely compatible. In fact, it's through our obedience to the law that we express our love for God. That's what John is going to tell us. So look with me at verse 3 as John begins. He says, um, and by this we know, there's that theme of assurance, here is a test, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Stop. Let's just this is so obvious, but it bears repeating over and over again. I want you to notice what John does not say. He does not say, and by this we come to know him if we obey his commandments. No, he says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commandments. And that makes all the difference in the world. 
If you were to ask someone just in your spheres of influence how they think, if they're not a Christian, how they think someone comes to know God or enter into a relationship with God, nine times out of ten you're going to hear some sort of variation of um, by keeping his commandments. Sadly, even within the church, many give the, that kind of response. If you were to ask someone in the church, well, how do you know uh, that you're going to heaven when you die? If you were to stand before the Lord uh, today and he asked you why you should be allowed into his eternal kingdom, what would you say? Very often uh, a professing Christian will say, because I, because I did X, Y, or Z. The wrong answer is because Jesus did X, Y, or Z. See. It's not that we come to know God by keeping his commandments. It's that we come to know that we do know God by keeping his commandments. Again, makes all the difference in the world. This is how we know now, today, as we sit here in 2021, praise God, at First Baptist Church in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. This is how we know now that we've come to know him, if we, if we have in the past, by now, as we sit here, 2021, Newcastle, Pennsylvania, keeping his commandments. Obedience gives evidence or assurance of the fact that we actually know Jesus. It's not sentimentality. It's not anything that we profess. It's not even necessarily anything we've done in the past. It's our obedience to Jesus in the here and the now. Look at how he elaborates on this in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So we really give evidence of our salvation, not by what we say, but how we live. If I say I know him, but I don't keep his commandments, there's no concerted desire to obey Jesus, then, well, I'm a liar, and uh, his truth is not in me. But look at the contrast, and here we get right into this area of love. But here's the flip side. Whoever keeps his word, Keep means guard or observe. Whoever obeys his word, that's Jesus' word, the commandments of Jesus in the scriptures, in him or her, truly, indeed, the love of God is perfected. Perfected. Now, we've got to sort of do some work on that phrase here. Love of God does not mean God's love for us. Um, in this context, it means our love for God. And what John is saying is that it's by obedience to the commands of Jesus, that our love for God is perfected or completed. You might say it's, it's shown forth. Um, if you think about any sort of relationship, any real important relationship, any relationship of consequence in the human life, let's, let's think about uh, a husband and a wife. True love between a husband and a wife isn't expressed through word, it's expressed through action. I mean, you show me a serial adulterer who claims to love his wife, and I'm going to show you a liar, yeah? But on the flip side, as I think, was thinking about this, I thought about my friend Matt in, in Cleveland. Sort of every time I was with Matt and his wife, Beth, it was, it was on display for the world to see that Matt just adored Beth. He loved her like crazy. You could see that in the way that he spoke tenderly to her. You could see that in the signs of affection that he showed her without any sort of shame or embarrassment. You could see it in the way that he would get up from dinner after she had made a meal for us as guests. She would, he would get up from dinner and wash the dishes for her. You could just tell by the way that he acted that he loved Beth. And in, in a sense, it was, 
It was like the way that he treated her was the completion of his love or the expression of his love. And in the Christian life, what John is saying here is that it is our obedience to the commands of of God that give forth evidence that we truly love him. No obedience to the law, no love. Obedience to God's law, love. Now, the reason it's so important that at the very beginning we emphasize, it's not that we come to know God by obedience. It's that we know that we've come to know God by obedience. The reason that that's important is that if it were the other way around, um, we could drill down through our obedience into our hearts and find a lot of things that have nothing to do with love. If God accepted us on the basis of what we offered him, if God accepted us or approved of us because we, we sort of passed the test, then what would reside in our hearts as a motivating influence to our obedience would be a sense of pride, wouldn't it? Um, a, a sort of desire to earn the approval of, of someone higher up. It might be self-love that would motivate our obedience in that way. But here, John is saying it is love for God that, uh, that motivates truly Christian obedience, and it is that love for God that gives evidence of genuine saving faith. John is going to tell us later that we love him because he first loved us. This is the pattern of the gospel. God sets his affection upon sinful men and women like you and me who have disobeyed his commandments, who are deserving of nothing but his condemnation, but without anything compelling him other than his love for his people, he gives us his son Jesus who is the righteous one, the propitiation for our sins, the one who never sinned and yet lays down his life sacrificially out of love so that you and I might be saved by faith in that work and rises again and now is seated at the right hand of the Father praying for us. It is that act of love that wells up within me a return of love. And that love is expressed in obedience, in faithfulness. As John goes on to say, in imitation. Think what he says in verse 6. By this we may know. Again, it's just clear, this theme of diagnostic tests. This is how you can know. Just trace back from the symptoms. You'll be able to tell what's going on in your heart. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You walk as Jesus walked, then you know him. Imitation is the highest form of flattery, is it not? I mean, I'm going to tell you what, around about 4 o'clock today, my little boy is going to put on a football jersey of a player that shall remain nameless, that he's just crazy about. Don't fall. He's his father's son. It's not his fault. But he's going to put on that jersey. He's going to get a Nerf football, and he's going to run around the house pretending to be this guy because he loves him. And the Christian life is putting on the jersey and acting like Jesus because we love him for what he's done for us. See, There's the assurance of salvation that comes through obedience. Some of us, we, we wonder all the time, what, you know, it, why don't I have an assurance of, of faith? And the question is, well, trace back from the symptoms. Do you obey him? Do you love him? No, I know I love him. I love him if I obey him, you see. But it's loving God through the commandments. Not so much anything I did back in the past. It's loving God through the commandments now. 
it gives me assurance. It doesn't give me salvation, it gives me assurance. And there's a huge difference. But it's not only that. What are the two great commandments? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So John now goes in verses 7 to 11 to talk to us not about loving God through the commandments, but loving Christians by the commandment. And the reason that I'm using a little bit of a different uh, verbiage there is that this is a commandment to love other Christians. It's a, a very plain commandment in Scripture from Jesus. And John is riffing on this in verse 7 when he writes, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard, and at the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. You got that? That's about as clear as can be, right? It's an old commandment, it's a new commandment, but it's an old one, and what are we talking about? Well, here, let's, let's put it like this. It is almost, it almost goes without saying, doesn't it, that Christians are called to love. You, you go out on the street, you ask any non-Christian in, in the United States, like, most of them will be able to identify that Christians are called to love. And that's something non-Christians get it more than Christians do very often. But Christians are called to love. It's as old as Christianity itself. You can go all the way back to um, the first five books of the Old Testament, what we refer to as the Pentateuch. And you will find there that Moses, the writer of the Pentateuch, is laying upon followers of Yahweh to obey these commandments, to love God and to love neighbor. Love God, Deuteronomy 6, love neighbor, Leviticus 19. Jesus combines them. But these commands are as old as it gets. There's nothing novel or sort of hip about the command to love. It is as old as the Bible. And yet, John says, it is new. And how can he say that? He can say that because Jesus says that. That's the passage we read at the beginning of our time together. Listen to Jesus again, John 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A new commandment, love one another, just as I have loved you. So on the one hand, the command to love is old. We know that, we understand that. Christians are called to love. But at the same time, it's new in the sense that Jesus gives it completely new, life-changing, earth-shattering dimensions. Because the love that you and I are called to display, the love that, that actually gives evidence of a genuine saving interest in Jesus is a just as I have loved you love. And that's intimidating. It is a just as I have loved you love. Now in context of John 13, Jesus has just washed his disciples' feet. He gets up from dinner, he takes off his clothes, he puts on a a towel, and he washes the disciples' feet. And in the interaction between Jesus and Peter, he says, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. In other words, what Jesus is doing when he washes his disciples' feet is he's giving them a preview of what he's going to do on the cross when he washes his disciples with his blood. Self-sacrifice. Giving of myself for the good of another. That's what genuinely Christian love is. And see, as we read the gospel accounts of Jesus and his life and his ministry, we see, don't we, in crystal clarity, 
what this actually looks like in practice, to give of myself, to be concerned for other people more so than for myself. He's shown us, and in that sense, he's also enabled us by his Holy Spirit. But there's all the difference in the world, isn't there, between hearing I should do something and then being shown how to do it. You know, you will know at this point, I, I make no pretense, I am the least mechanical, technical person you will ever meet. But I'm going to tell you something. Last week, I changed the battery in my wife's car all by myself. And boy, was I proud. I mean, I was, I puffed my chest out. I walked into my house like I was the manliest man in Lawrence County, Pennsylvania. But you know why I did that? There's a reason I was able to do that. I mean, I could have looked up any sort of instructions on how to change a battery, and I wouldn't have been able to make heads or tails of it. Even though I understand some of the men in the room are going, that's really basic, Mike. Like, what are you on about? But for me, it's not, right? So I could have read instructions. I wouldn't have got it. The reason I was able to do it is I watched my father-in-law change my battery about a month ago. See, he showed me, and I just imitated him. Jesus has shown us what it is to love, and he calls us to imitate him. And it's our imitation of Jesus in this way that gives us assurance of our salvation. John puts it in, again, very stark black or white kind of terminology. Verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Notice for John, there is no sort of middle ground. There's no gray area. You don't kind of like like your brothers and sisters. You don't like tolerate your brothers and sisters, though that's one aspect of love. It's you love or you hate, man. You're, you're either in the light, you're in the night. One or the other. He says, whoever says he's in the light, oh, I'm in the light, I know God, I'm following Jesus, I walk in the light, but he hates his brother, that person is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Now, he's using that a little bit differently than we're using stumbling with style from last week. He's talking about stumbling and being tripped up, scandalized, falling away from the faith. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We understand that imagery. It's, it's plain. If you can't see where you're going, you're bound to fall. That's why I prefer to wear glasses. If you can't see where you're going, you're bound to fall. And if you hate your brother, then you can't see where you're going because you're in the darkness. And John is not saying, and I, my fear is that we're going to misunderstand what John's saying. John is not saying, okay, look, First Baptist, we've got a little bit of a deficit of love. I want you to really get going on the love thing this week. You know? You've got to really turn around the love. You turn up the love factor, we're good to go. No. John's saying, I want you to look at, put the facts out in front of you right now. And I want you to trace those back to your heart. And I want you to ask yourself the question, what does it reveal? Jesus says, I'm giving this command that you love one another as I have loved you. By this, the whole world will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. I, I think it's fair to say that this past year, the past 12 months have strained our love. And it's not just those inside and those outside. I'm talking about internal sort of civil war kind of love. Because I think we've, in, in, in a lot of respects, and I've been guilty of this myself, we've forgotten that what binds us together is far greater than what divides us. 
So in other words, my shared commitment with you to Jesus is far more, I don't care about your politics. This is the least interesting thing to me. I don't even want to hear them because I'm not going to tell you mine. And that's not me being mean. I'm trying to tell you, I would rather us focus on King Jesus than a presidential candidate that's going to divide us. Yeah? I don't ultimately care, shouldn't ultimately care, your view of masks. I have my view of masks. I'm sure you'd be able to identify it. But what binds us together in Jesus is far more important than what we think about masks. I have my own views about racial injustice. I bet you could probably sniff it out. Not everybody's going to agree with me 100%. Hopefully you will agree with the Bible that racism is satanic and sinful. But, you know, what binds us together is Jesus and his kingdom. And so the call here for us in 2021 as we enter into this uh, new year, I read a wonderful little piece in the Wall Street Journal written by uh, Tony Dungy and Benjamin Watson, two former NFL players, Tony Dungy obviously a coach, both dear brothers in Christ. And they had this crystal clear clarion call for believers to confront one another in love and, and to challenge one another to love each other, even when we're different from one another. And what a wonderful testimony to the world that is. See, here is the beauty of this test, is that this test not only gives me assurance that I know Jesus, and not only gives you assurance that you know Jesus, but it gives those outside of these four walls who don't know Jesus assurance that Jesus is real and does what he says he's going to do. And so the call is for each of us, again, to look at the facts, look at our lives, and just lay it out in front of us. There's no use in hiding anything. God already knows. And to ask the question, well, as it relates to loving God uh, through the commandments, do I, do I have a, a desire to obey him? Even if it's stumbling with style, do I have a desire to obey him? When I sin, do I, do I repent quickly? Do I keep short accounts with him? Do I ask him to help me to obey better in the future? Do I, do I have that desire? If, if the answer is yes, then I can trace that back to a genuine love for him. And I can rest well tonight. If I look at my life and I look at a lack of obedience to Jesus and, and ultimately lack of concern, well, it's not that big of a deal. I've got to trace that back to its source and say, maybe I don't love him like I say I love him. At the same time, I, I need to put the facts out in front of me and go, okay, do I love other brothers and sisters in Jesus? Understanding that that is the most important um, uh, bond that I have with any other human being outside of a sort of a covenant relationship with a spouse. Do I love other Christians even when they're different from me? Am I, am I willing to, to, to prefer them over myself? Am I, am I a foot-washing kind of just as I have loved you lover of other believers? And even if it's imperfect, you know, let's make no mistake, uh, I frustrate you, you frustrate me. I annoy you, you annoy me. We, we understand that, but that's not what we're talking We're talking about a direction of love and moving towards other Christians. The answer is yes, and I, I trace that back to the root, and I say, why do I love other Christians? Because I love God. I say I love him, and so I love what he loves, and he loves his people. If not, I have to go back to the source and say, why don't I? I remember hearing Mark Dever once preach uh, about 1 John. He was referring to something another pastor had said. But somebody had made the comment about, 
uh, a person who hates other Christians or dislikes other Christians. And the comment is, well, how do you know that God isn't like that Christian that you don't like? If that Christian is seeking to be like Jesus and you don't like them, maybe it's because you don't like him. It's a startling question that we all have to ask. And my prayer for all of us, again, is that you wouldn't misunderstand me. These are diagnostic tests. They tell us why something is, not what something is. And each of us are going to have to, in a real practical way, get alone with the Lord and ask the question before God and in our own hearts. What are the symptoms and what does that reveal? as it relates to obeying him and loving his people. If you can answer positively, I want you to know, I hope you have the best sleep you can, you've ever had tonight. And for those of us who have some questions, the answer is always Jesus, you know? It's like, there's just something to the, the four or five-year-old in Sunday school raising their hand every, every question saying Jesus, you know? There is, a, there is something to that, because if you come up short, the answer isn't try harderism. The answer is bow before King Jesus. Ask for his grace, for his forgiveness, and his mercy, and ask him to help you to love God and your neighbor. Not picking yourself up by your bootstraps, but falling face first before the cross. Doesn't matter where we're at. Jesus is so clear, John 6, isn't he? All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me, doesn't matter if they thought they were Christian for 30 years and weren't, somebody who just heard it, anyone who comes to me, I will never cast out. So tonight, let's, let's take care to examine our own hearts. We have to do that for ourselves. I can't do that for you. You can't do it for me. Let's examine our own hearts, and let's ask ourselves the question, do I, do I have assurance? And if you find that you don't, I pray that you would turn from your sin and trust in Jesus for the first time today and receive all the blessings that, that come through the gospel, even that assurance that you know him and will be with him forever. Father, thank you for uh, just the crystal clarity of your word. Thank you for giving us these tests by which we can know whether we know you. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that you'll help us to um, deal diligently with our own hearts and to be honest with ourselves before you as we ask ourselves these questions. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that um, understands that what binds us together is uh, far more important than anything that would divide us. We pray that we would find our um, connection to each other uh, in terms of our, our, our shared connection to Jesus. Um, Lord, we pray that uh, you will help us to obey the great command to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves, and that we would do that as we understand that you, in your son Jesus, have first loved us. Lord, we thank you for our time together, and we commit one another to, to you and to your grace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make the light of his countenance shine upon you now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his grace.